Good morning, church. I'm going to be reading Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 6 this morning, so y'all can follow along. And I'll also be reading it in Spanish, so y'all can follow along there, too. It says, Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who had heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked. What's this wisdom that has been given to him? What are these remarkable miracles that he is performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. And then same scripture in Spanish, and it says, Salió Jesús de allí y fue a su tierra en, en compañía de sus discípulos. Cuando llegó el sábado, comenzó a enseñar en la sinagoga. ¿De dónde sacó este tales cosas? Decían maravillados muchos de los que le oían. ¿Qué sabiduría es esta que, que se le ha dado? ¿Cómo se explican estos milagros que vienen de sus manos? ¿No es acaso el carpintero, el hijo de María y hermano de Jacobo, de José, de Judas y de Simón? ¿No están sus hermanas aquí con nosotros? Y se escandalizaban a causa de él. Por tanto, Jesús les dijo, En todas partes se honra a un profeta, menos en su tierra, entre sus familiares y en su propia casa. En efecto, no pudo hacer allí ningún milagro, excepto sanar a unos pocos enfermos al imponerles las manos. Y él se quedó asombrado por la incredulidad de ellos. Thank you, Yadi. Thank you, band. Hey, good morning. My name's Tanner House. I'm the, I'm the lead pastor here at Redeemer Church of Odessa. Uh, if you're new, thank you for being here. If you wouldn't mind taking a second and filling out the connect card underneath your chair so we would know how to connect with you, how we as a church body can serve you. Um, we'd love to just uh, take you to a cup of coffee or lunch and, and just see how we can, we can serve you better. Um, like Yadi said, we're going to be in Mark chapter 6. Uh, if you want to turn there, we use the ESV if you're on your phone. If you need a Bible, we can, we can get you one for sure. Um, yeah, so Mark chapter 6. So my mom, uh, she just retired from her teaching job. She started her job at my high school the same day that I started high school. So I used to tell people my mom and I started high school on the exact same day. Uh, initially, I thought it was going to be awful, but it ended up being pretty awesome because I could take her car and come and go as I pleased. Uh, don't tell anybody, though. Uh, in May, she's retiring, so in May, some of her friends threw her this big retirement party. And so my family and I, we packed up and we went to Hobbs, and it was a lot of fun seeing some of my old coaches and some of my old teachers. But at one point during this retirement party, I looked over, and my oldest two kids are sitting at the bar with their plate of crackers and fruit, and there's this woman who was my history teacher and also the volleyball coach, and she was talking to my kids. And so, fun fact about me, I actually lettered in girls' varsity volleyball. Yeah, I was the equipment manager, so 
the most important guy on the team. Um, yeah, so I spent a lot of time with this woman, and uh, it was like my junior and senior year, and she would make me ride like eight rows behind her on the bus because I think she loved me, but I also know that I annoyed the bejesus out of her. So I'm like seeing her talking to my kids, and I'm like, what is she saying to them? So I like casually stroll over there like, hey, kids, what are y'all, what are y'all hearing? And as I'm like getting there, I hear her say, when your dad was a kid, he was so crazy. Now, that's not a false statement. Like, I cannot refute that statement at all because it was absolutely true. I was voted loudest in my class of 500 people, if you could believe that. Uh, I was the loudest. And rumor has it that the voting margin was not even close. Like, I won that thing in a landslide. Spiritual gift, being loud. Um, just really comical, though. I go home. I've been gone from home almost 20 years. And I go back and I visit my parents and I see people. And I'm always reminded of the type of kid I was when I was growing up. I just can't seem to escape it. It doesn't matter that I've grown up. It doesn't matter that I've started a family and made some steps towards becoming a fully functioning adult and a fully functioning productive member of society. I'm still kind of viewed as this wild and crazy kid uh, that drove my teachers crazy for years. Now, imagine with me for a second that I didn't actually earn any of that. Like, what if I was valedictorian, even though I was far from that? What if I was valedictorian in my high school, or like I never got in trouble in school, and I wasn't voted loudest, but like nicest, or most likely to succeed? And my reputation amongst my hometown faithful was, that guy Tanner, he's still a joke. That wouldn't be right. That wouldn't really be fair. Now imagine what it would be like to be Jesus. We're about to see Jesus return home from doing some ministry, and we're going to see how his hometown responds to him. But as we're walking through our text this morning, I want you to consider uh, a couple of positions. Which one of these are you? Are you in awe of Jesus? Are you amazed by Jesus? Does the knowledge of who Jesus is and what he has done for you move you to worship? Are you offended by Jesus? Does Jesus' life, his ministry, his teaching, does it call you to like, take a step back from him? Does it call you to, cause you to pull away from him? Man, are you, are you just guilty of unbelief? Does the life, ministry, and teaching of Jesus have no effect in your life? So consider that this morning. Which one are you? Man, if you have a vibrant, thriving walk with Christ, praise God. I want to encourage you to keep going. It is, however, really easy to grow complacent in life, especially in your spiritual lives. So keep pressing in, keep loving the Lord, keep doing the things of the Lord. That is all good and praiseworthy. Man, if you're in one of these latter two camps, like maybe you know you need Jesus, but it feels like you're too far gone, or you're too unlovable, or you're somehow unsavable, man, I want to encourage you this morning, too, that none of that's true. There is hope. 
Don't despair this morning. Man, I do want to caution you, though. If you are an unbeliever this morning, I just want to implore you to really consider Jesus this morning. So let's pray, and then we're going to dive into our text. Lord Jesus, we need you. Lord, may we not be like the people of Nazareth this morning. Lord, may you impress on our hearts our need for your love, our need for your grace. Lord, call us to faith and dependency this morning. Call us to repentance and truth in the gospel this morning. Lord, we need you. Help us to see our need for you. Lord, we trust you. Help us to trust you more. We invite you, Lord Jesus, to do a work in and through your Holy Spirit this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Mark 6, uh, beginning in verse 1, it says, He went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. So just as a review, over the last few weeks, we've seen Jesus teaching to a large crowd. And then after he's done teaching, he gets into a boat, and they begin sailing across the Sea of Galilee. It's after a long day of teaching and healing, and so he's tired. And Jesus goes to the back of the boat, and as they're rowing across, Jesus falls asleep. So as they're rowing across this lake, a huge storm comes upon them, and it's threatening their lives. Their boat's filling up with water. They're about to fill up and sink. The disciples, they wake Jesus up, and they start accusing him of not caring about him. Jesus, do you not care that we're about to drown? They wake Jesus up, and Jesus calms the storm with a word. He looks out, and he says, peace, be still. And there is a perfect calm. He looks at his disciples, and he says, do you still have no faith? After all you have seen me do, after all you have witnessed, do you still have no faith? So they continue their journey across the Sea of Galilee. And when they get there, this man runs up on them who is possessed by what the text says, a legion of demons. Literally thousands of demons are in this guy. And Jesus shows this man compassion and shows this man care. And he casts out the demons. The people in the region of the Gerasenes, where this demon-possessed guy was, they don't want Jesus there. Uh, They're no longer afraid of the demon-possessed guy. They're now afraid of the power of Jesus. So Jesus commissions this man that had formerly been possessed by a demon to be basically the first missionary to the region. Jesus leaves the region, but he doesn't leave them without a gospel witness in this man who has been redeemed. So then the disciples and Jesus get back in the boat, row back across to the other side where they came from, uh, and when Jesus hits the shore, he's met by a frenzied crowd. He's approached by this man, Jairus, whose daughter is dying, and he begs Jesus, Jesus, please come and touch my daughter. My only daughter is sick at home. She's about to die. I need you to heal her, Jesus. So as they're walking along the way, the crowd is pressing in around Jesus, and this old lady who had been bleeding for 12 years thinks in her head, if I can just get close enough just to reach out and touch his robe, just to reach out and touch his garment, then I'll be healed. So this old lady, elbows wide, pushes her way through the crowd, reaches out, touches Jesus, and is instantly healed of a disease where she had spent all of her money trying to get some answers. The text says she had visited doctors. She had spent all of her money for 12 years trying to get some answers and she is no better but she is insanely poor and she goes in faith and touches Jesus and she is healed instantly. Jesus says, who touched me? 
And there's all these people pressing in around him. Who touched me? And his disciples are like, are you serious, Jesus? Anyways, he starts having a conversation with this lady, and he tells her, daughter, your faith has made you well. So not only does Jesus heal her, he has now invited her into his family. And while Jesus is trying to figure out who touched him in this interaction that he's having with this old lady, a man comes from Jairus' house and says, hey, don't bother Jesus anymore. Your daughter's dead. Jesus looks at Jairus, and he calls him to believe. He essentially says, Jairus, I'm still here. We're still going. I'm not distracted. I'm not disinterested in what you're going through. Just trust me. Let me show you what I am going to do. Even if your daughter is dead, Jairus, even if it feels like hope is lost, it's not. Just trust me. So he shows up, and he heals Jairus' daughter. All of this happens in the span of one day. Like from breakfast to dinner. That is a busy day. And we're seeing Jesus yet again proving himself powerful over nature, powerful over sickness, powerful over the demonic. Jesus is powerful to heal. Yes, amen. But he is also powerful to save souls. God wants you to trust him regardless of your circumstances, regardless of your situation, because he can be trusted to heal your diseases. But more than that, he can be trusted to conquer your great enemy of sin and death. We know this because of the cross. We know this because of the empty tomb of Jesus. And not only can Jesus do it, but man, Jesus delights in doing so. Hebrews 2, 14 through 15 says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power over death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Scripture says that for the joy that was set before him, Jesus Christ endured the cross. Believers in Jesus are that joy. You are not unlovable. And so Jesus leaves the region of Galilee, and he heads to his hometown, which is Nazareth. Nazareth is kind of like the Kermit of the first century. The, the only people that lived there were the people that were born there. The population's like 100, 200 maybe. There is absolutely nothing to do in this little town. In John chapter 1, we see Jesus when he first comes onto the scene, and he starts calling his first disciples. We see this guy, Philip, go and tell this other guy, Nathaniel, Nathaniel, we have found the Messiah. It's Jesus of Nazareth. And Nathaniel kind of looks at Philip, and he goes, Nazareth? Nothing good comes out of Nazareth. But here he is, Jesus from Nazareth, and he shows up to his hometown, and he's brought with him his posse, his 12 disciples. They show up, and look what happens. Verse 2. And on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is this wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, 
the son of Mary and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Man, so Jesus, as he often does in previous times in his ministry, shows up to this town. He teaches in their synagogue. The people of Nazareth are astonished, the text says. How is this guy so wise? He did not learn this stuff at Nazareth ISD. How is he teaching with such authority? How is he doing so many amazing things? Man, by the time Jesus shows up in Nazareth, he has done so many miracles. Listen to this list. He heals Peter's mother-in-law. He heals many in Capernaum. He's healed a leper. He's healed a paralyzed man. He's healed a man with a deformed hand. The text says he heals many again. He calms the storm. He casts out a legion of demons. He heals a woman who has bled for 12 years. And he heals a little girl. So after all of this, he shows up in his hometown. He starts catching some static from the people who think they know him the best. Look at what's taking place here. The people of Nazareth are not denying these things. The people of Nazareth are not denying the miracles. But these miracles aren't leading them to faith. I want that to be a word of caution for you this morning. Miracles are not the point of the Christian faith. They can be a nice byproduct, but they are not the main attraction. There are a lot of churches today popular amongst millennials like a lot of us and Gen Zers um, that put so much emphasis on miracles. And when we don't get what we want, when we don't get what we expect, they tell you you might not be living correctly. They tell you that something's wrong with you. There is something wrong with you. It's sin. But Jesus doesn't withhold blessings from you based on the size of your faith. We see this, we've seen this throughout the, the walk through Mark. What this exchange is revealing to us is that our faith can't be conditional. Let me show you what I mean. In the book of Matthew, Jesus has an encounter with some, some Jewish people that tell him, they say, hey, Jesus, show us a sign, and then we will believe you're the Christ. Show us, Jesus. We will believe that you are the Messiah if you show us a sign. Jesus, up to this point in ministry, had been teaching and also performing a lot of miracles. Like for a year or two solid, he has been doing miracles, and the people still wanted more. Jesus says, Matthew 12, 39, he says, But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And the people wanted a sign. They wanted to see yet another miracle. Jesus, I know we've witnessed all this, but if you do it just one more time, if you do one more miracle, then we'll believe who you say we, then we will believe who you say you are. The sign of Jonah, which we are not going to dive into today, but you can go and read the book of Jonah devotionally. It's one of my favorite Old Testament books. It's about repentance, and it's about the resurrection. 
the sign of Jonah is that the Messiah will rise from the dead. So the 2021 translation of sign-seeking from Jesus is like this. Jesus, man, if you come through for me in this, if you come through for me in this particular area of my life, then I'll never, ever, ever do this thing that I've been doing again that I know I shouldn't be doing anyways. But if you, if you help me out here, Jesus, I'll stop, I promise. Jesus, if you fix my problems, I'll stop doing this stuff. Rather... The proper response to Jesus is faith and dependency because of what he's already done for us. Sometimes we will suffer for the sake of following Christ. Sometimes we will suffer as Christians so that Christ can develop us into who he wants us to be. Man, but because of the cross and resurrection, we have everything we need to walk in faith. However, when we only focus on miracles, we are a lot like the people of Nazareth. We see what Jesus has done. We see the miracles. We see the cross. We see the resurrection. We see the ascension of Jesus. And somehow, we want more. Somehow we expect more. We can get amazed or we can think this stuff is cool. But so many of us live like Christ's sacrifice has no bearing on our lives. So many of us claim to be Christians, claim to be followers of Jesus, and our lives look nothing like what he's calling us to. The people of Nazareth want something different than the God of the Bible. They like Jesus the miracle worker, but not the one who commands faith and submission. Culturally, we are oftentimes no different. We're okay with Jesus until he makes demands on our lives. Listen, this teaches us that miracles aren't enough. When you make demands on Jesus to perform miracles on your behalf, but you have no intentions of actually following Jesus, if you have no intentions of actually allowing Christ to change your heart, you are no different than these people. Christ's miracles will always point to Jesus. They are divinely ordained signs declaring that Jesus is God. And apart from hearts changed by the gospel... Apart from hearts changed by God, no one will be able to see Jesus for who he truly is. It is possible to see a miracle. It is possible to experience the miraculous, and it have no lasting effect on you. We see this in the townspeople when they start criticizing Jesus and his family. When they say, hey, he's just the son of Mary. This may actually be the first Yamama joke ever recorded in history. The virgin birth, man, that's hard to accept, right? So they're like, the Messiah wouldn't come from an unwed teenage mom from Nazareth. His family isn't special. His dad was just a carpenter. Look, his own siblings don't even believe him. We do know later that his brother James and, and his brother Judas... Uh, who would later become Jude so as not to be confused with the betrayer of Jesus. Uh, both of those guys would come to faith. 
Jude, or this Judas here, Jude would write the book of Jude in your Bible. Uh, James would write the book of James. And James, the brother of Christ, would be one of the first Christian martyrs. And the end of verse 3 says that the town of Nazareth was, was offended by Jesus. The Greek word for offended is where we get our English word for scandal, scandalous or scandalized. The town of Nazareth is scandalized by Christ's message. They look at what he's done, and they can't deny it. They just flat do not care. So Jesus responds like this, verse 4. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Jesus has to be brokenhearted as he says this. The people who know him best refuse to believe him. The people that we expect to stand by him don't. Daniel Aiken in his commentary on, on the book of Mark says it like this. They knew him, but they couldn't explain him, so they rejected him. Sometimes we spend so much time with someone that we no longer appreciate them. For those of us raised in a Christian environment, this is certainly an ever-present danger we must guard against. In a sense, we should never get comfortable with Jesus. His goal is to not make us comfortable. His goal is to bring us to repentance and faith, humbly falling at his feet and confessing him as Lord and God. Jesus is not your buddy, your soulmate, your genie in a bottle obligated to grant your every wish. Man, if you found that your heart has grown cold or distant from God, if you're participating in your spiritual disciplines out of, out of duty and obligation rather than delight, if you claim to be a Christian and you don't ever read your Bible or pray, you've gotten too comfortable with Jesus. The message of the cross has just become another menu item in your busy life. I say this not to shame you, I say this not to make you feel bad, but to encourage you that Christ loves you enough to die for you. Busy moms in here, he is worthy of being the object of your affections before your kids. Husbands and wives, Christ must be your first love. Working folks in here, if your job owns you, if your job owns your schedule, and you're too busy for the Lord, you have made your work an idol. If you spend all your free time on Instagram or Facebook or TikTok or whatever it is, man, that's an issue. I'm not saying that your kids or your spouses or your jobs or your hobbies are bad. But if they dominate your lives then that is idolatry. If these things take you away from the things of the Lord, including the body of Christ, you may be in sin. You can insert anything in here you would like. 
your bank accounts or trying to build wealth or status or your career or your desire for your spouse or your better trying to make a better situation. Really anything you are discontent with. If you are not trusting God with these things, if these things are ruling you, if you devote all of your time and mental energy to these things, if you devote all of your affections to these things, they have become your God. Listen, you need to remind yourself of the gospel message and ask yourself, is Jesus worthy? Is he worthy of my entire life? Is he worthy of my trust? Is he worthy of my devotion? If the answer is yes, then you remind yourselves of the good news that Christ loves you and do the things that stir your affections for him and plug into and invest deeply in the things of the Lord, namely the body of Christ. Jesus is worthy of laying our lives down for. He is not just some good moral guy who lived 2,000 years ago and was unfairly executed for his troubles. His hometown missed it. His relatives missed it for a little bit. The Jews got it wrong. The Roman government missed it. People today still get it wrong. So let me tell you, Jesus is King. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Savior. Jesus is Master. Do you see it? Are you allowing Christ to guide your life? Are you allowing Christ to dictate your decisions? Are you allowing Christ to set the tone for your family? Man, are you willing to follow him even to the point of death? Man, so much like the land of the Gerasenes where Jesus cast out the, the demons from the, from the man. Jesus wasn't wanted there. Jesus leaves Nazareth just like he left the Gerasenes. Jesus leaves Nazareth probably for the last time. The text says he could do no mighty work there. This isn't because he actually couldn't, but that he wouldn't. Faithlessness is the only thing that limits God. Faithlessness is the only thing that limits Christ. Christ will not perform miracles that have no redeeming work. Tim Keller says it like this, Jesus' miracles were not magic tricks designed to prove how powerful he was, but they were signs of the kingdom to show how his redemptive power operates. His miracles always healed and restored and delivered people in ways that revealed how we are to find him by faith and have our lives transformed by him. Man, the biggest miracle of all the biggest miracle of all of Jesus' ministry is that because of the resurrection, hearts can be changed and redeemed. The biggest miracle of all is that salvation in Christ by faith in Christ is possible. Christ thus far in our walk through Mark has done many miracles, but bringing hearts to life in Nazareth was limited because of the unbelief of the people. Hebrews 11.6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Man, what is taking place here in Nazareth is a, is a foreshadowing. 
It's foreshadowing what is unfortunately and ultimately about to happen to Jesus. This is showing us that Christ will be rejected by his friends, by his family, by his nation. Man, and unfortunately, he's still being rejected by people in our world and many people in our churches. Thankfully, salvation is not dependent on us. We can be stubborn, we can be hard-hearted, we can be hard-headed, we can be selfish, we can be outright rebellious. I mean, look at the people in the text who were walking physically present with Jesus. Some of those people, seeing what they saw, would reject Christ. Some of them would come to faith after the resurrection because the Lord does indeed work in his timing. When the Holy Spirit uh, softens heart to respond to the message of salvation, God's grace is irresistible. But some of these people would reject Christ. Miracles aren't the point. Thanks be to God that he is still drawing people to himself. Christ is still pleased to work in those whom he calls to fellowship with him. By faith, you can have a relationship with God through Christ's death and through Christ's resurrection. So think about that right now. When you think about the cross and when you think about the resurrection, when you think about the depths of your sin, what does that stir up in you? Does it stir anything up in you? Are you amazed by Jesus? Does the cross and resurrection move you to worship? And as the cross for you, has it become something you've taken for granted? When you listen to sermons by me or by someone else and we talk about the sacrifice of Jesus, does it stir up any affection for Jesus? Or do you just sit there and think, man, I've heard this before? Do you even care that your sin required an innocent and perfect Savior to die? Man, if you claim to be in Christ and the cross doesn't move you to worship, you need to repent of that. If what Jesus did for you doesn't stir your affections for him, are you just playing churchy games? Do you really know Christ or are you just checking religious boxes trying to save yourself in some form of pseudo-righteousness? Man, if there's coldness in your heart towards Jesus, I want to tell you, you're not without hope. Christ is still pleased to receive you. But if all you are after is heaven, and you think it's going to be awesome, but you give no thought about Jesus or how you live, that's a problem. If all you treasure is sin and unrighteousness, if all you treasure is yourself— you're not going to enjoy heaven because all there is is righteousness and worship of Jesus. The truth of the matter is that the gospel will not be limited. It is scandalous. 
Paul calls it a stumbling block for Jews and folly to the Gentiles. There was a man, Jesus, who lived in perfection with God in a sinless existence, who was with God at creation because he is God. He's born of a virgin, born in the likeness of man, lived a perfect sinless life, yet was arrested and betrayed and crucified on a sinner's cross. He is the sacrificial lamb, once and for all crucified for those who believe in him, and he is now seated at the right hand of the Father And his blood speaks a better word for us. Those whose faith is in Christ will not perish, but will have eternal life with him in glory. On the other hand, hell is a very present reality. You don't get to move through life and have Jesus Christ have no bearing on your existence and get heaven. There are only two options here this morning. Christ is either everything, and your faith is in him and in him alone, for he alone has the power to save, or he is nothing to you, and your soul is doomed for an eternity separated from him. Those are your options. Man, but don't despair. If you're not where you need to be spiritually, if you're not walking with Jesus, let me offer you this. As long as you have breath in your lungs, there is hope for you. There is grace upon grace upon grace, and Christ's mercies are new for you every morning. Man, you have an invitation this morning to repent of your sin and to turn to God in faith. You don't have to have it all together. Christ says, come as you are. He will change your heart. He will make you a new creation. Man, it's a daily progressive dying of self. Man, you may be living for God today and tomorrow becomes a struggle. It's not a one-time thing, but a daily submission to God in faith. We need him. We need each other to hold one another accountable to the things of Christ. Man, you can repent and you can be forgiven. Christ loves you enough to die for the sins of the world. He can certainly handle yours too. Christ implores you to come, to join him, to be a part of his family, to allow him to change your heart. Man, so I think we all have some work to do this morning. If you are a Christian... If you are a follower of Jesus, man, are you in awe of Christ? If you're a Christian, if you're a believer, do you find yourself walking in ongoing, willful, unrepentant sin? Man, are you walking in unbelief? Are you indifferent towards Christ? Man, each of you, every single one of you, Examine your own heart and mind in this moment. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for the cross. And thank you for the resurrection, Lord, that we are not following a dead lifeless moral teacher but a God who has conquered sin and death on our behalf 
Lord, may we cling to you in faith. Lord, may we run to the crucified Savior who died in our place for the forgiveness of sins so that we may have eternal life with you. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would move this morning. Lord, that you would soften hearts to respond to the gospel of Christ. Lord, I pray that you would call people out of unbelief this morning. Lord, bring repentance where repentance is necessary. Lord, for the believer this morning, I pray that you would reveal sin. Lord, that you would bring repentance there as well. Lord, may we not leave this room unchanged. Lord, move and work this morning as you see fit. It's in your name we pray. Amen.